Do you actually have to be on cocaine to be on this podcast? What's up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. I am your commissioner, Bob Trollsby. And not always, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the good chef, Andre Napier. And today we're doing something a little bit different. Our good friend, Fireball Matt Marchesini, was not able to make it tonight. So we have our friend Joe Tillery of YouTube, Heartland College Sports, uh, and just all sorts of other things to be famous for. He's going to be moonlighting as our guest host. Joe, it's great to have you. How are you doing tonight, my friend? I'm doing great. In honor of Matt, I drank all the fireball possible and all, all of the, in honor of the podcast, I did all the cocaine possible. So it's a great night to be here. I appreciate you guys having me. I, I love that. I love that. Also tonight, we have another night game to, to preview this week. This time back home at the Bill, we're not, you know, it's not someone's Super Bowl where they're doing a blackout for us like uh, like the previous two matchups. But the Cats will be hosting the TCU Horn Frogs in their third matchup in the last 365 days. And to help us preview that matchup, we have another friend of the show and recurring guest in the mastermind behind CFB Graphs and a ton of other projects that, that are countless at this point. Uh, it's podcast stats and otherwise, but we've got Parker Fleming at Stats of War is on to preview the Frogs with us again this year. Parker, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for thanks for having me. I love the, um, I feel like this off season is the off season everybody took the leap and now you guys have like the background and the intro music and the faces and you guys got great backgrounds with the guitars and stuff. I love it, man. It's great to see everybody thriving here in this, uh, in this brand new open source podcast world. Well, we appreciate it. And it's awesome to be able to finally see your, your lovely face and your fantastic beard as well. Um, but Parker, when we had you on last year, these two teams were in a very different position than we're both in today at this point in the season. And, and I don't, you know, Two very interesting postseasons, if you will, for, for both teams as well. But the Horn Frogs are four and three on the year so far, with a one and two record in the conference. TCU lost in a show uh, in a shootout to to Colorado in that season opener to Deion Sanders Buffaloes, and then had two uh, two losses to open up conference play to teams that were at the bottom of the Big Twelve last year, who are now sitting at the top ish of the standings this year, uh, in uh, behind Oklahoma, and that's Iowa State and West Virginia. But then TCU is coming off of a 44 to 11 shellacking of BYU uh, and adding that to the fold with wins against Nichols, Houston, and SMU. So all of that is just context for to lead into this question of how has TCU's team so far this year performed to any expectations that you or other fans may have had coming into this season after that Big 12 title game appearance, a CFP semifinal win, and then a national title appearance against Georgia? Yeah, well, I, I think one thing to keep in mind when you talk about any program in the Big 12 following up a year of success is kind of the developmental nature of uh, of the Big 12. And I know I'm preaching to the choir with you guys. You like we're uh, people who watch and, and follow a team kind of know this, but like it's very hard to be amazing two years in a row, especially when you look at TCU as white. I mean, 
undefeated in one score games last year, I guess, except the, the Kansas state uh, big 12 championship game there. So uh got a lot of one score luck, obviously got some, got some injury luck as well. That, that, that certainly made things a little bit easier for them, but the best any team in the big 12, that's kind of not in the Oklahoma category the last couple of years can do is be at the top of your development cycle, have an experienced roster and hope you get the breaks. And um, we saw it last year. I think Kansas state fell into that and, and absolutely got that. Um, Baylor and Oklahoma State both in 2021 were teams that had, you know, some of those COVID super seniors really, really experienced and were able to take advantage of, of some breaks there as well. Um, and, and so I think that contextually, you know, it's you hear a lot out of training camp and it's just very, very easy to kind of get high on your own supply with, hey, these guys look great. And hey, they're, you know, they're, they're, they, they've got these transfers and it's all going to be reloaded and um, it's just very important to contextually remember that like when you turn over a lot of guys, it's hard to be good again. So one, I think there's that with TCU, obviously there's talent on this roster. Um, but coming into the season, I was kind of, I was kind of circling, you know, Hey, seven and five, just show us that the floor isn't that low. Um, and I think they've had some preventable losses where like uh, a team that is truly elite and maybe on the right path to, to consistently contending nationally would not have dropped these three games. Um, would not have dropped all three of them even. I think all three of those were extremely preventable. And and you look at some stuff that's really, really uh, just low-hanging fruit. I mean, the, the what is the line we heard about the Colorado game? It was like, if only if only they knew it, like they didn't know what to look for, right? This had no film or whatever. And you're like, guys, Sean Lewis runs the GD beer and shoot. Like I promise they have the playbook in the building. They knew what to look for. They just got stuck and uh, made some dumb red zone decisions. So um, generally I think, I think anyone who's, who's kind of serious and not just, you know, fan, fan for the sake of fan was looking at the season and saying, Hey, obviously they're going to take a step back. They're in a weird spot developmentally because they do have a lot of talent on this roster, but not a lot of reinforcements in terms of recruiting. You look at the recruiting ranking coming up and it's not, it's not amazing. Um, they, they, they do have the third best roster in the big 12 pretty, pretty clearly here, but um, it, it is kind of a crossroads here. Cause if TCU can't, you know, bring these transfers in and reload uh, you start to look at the long-term path and think, okay, what's really going to happen here. So a guy that was in the development program at TCU and was, I mean, the guy, the heart and soul of that TCU team last year was Max Duggan, and he he's gone. And you got a guy that was the starter coming into that season, where you guys went to the national championship game, and Chandler Morris. He takes over full time, and now he's down. And going into this Kansas State game, you're going in with a a freshman, Josh Hoover. But I mean, he tore it up in that BYU game. What are some areas on this team, especially quarterback? that are different from last year, but could be improvements, could have went down from last year's team. Just, just talk to me about this offense specifically. Yeah, well, I think the big the big difference between this year and last year is is, is a couple things, especially when it comes to the quarterback position. One, um, experience matters, reps matter. And Chandler Morris, talented, although I'll say wasn't as highly ranked to recruit as Max Duggan coming out of um, high school. I think people see Oklahoma and, and really – TCU fell victim to, hey, the, the best quarterback is the one on the bench. Uh, when in reality, I mean, Chandler Morris has not played meaningful football over an extended period of time since high school. Um, and, and that matters. That matters for your development. That matters for your in-game feel. Um, and I think that Chandler Morris didn't have the feel that Max Duggan had. I also think that he did not have the offensive coordinator to identify who the dudes were and go make that happen. A lot of what TC was asking Chandler Morris to do was make a play. And, and to be fair, 
TC's offensive coordinator got spoiled by having KJ Jefferson, the freaking bowling ball last year, being able to just bail you out sometimes. And so um, that, that matters. I think a lot of frustration in the West Virginia game was like, oh, Chandler took a sack or, oh, Chandler couldn't hit this pass. And you're like, no, dude, they're calling plays that require Chandler with this offensive line to make a precision throw to outside the numbers 20 yards downfield. Like, that's just not smart. That's not how TCU functioned. It did well last year. I mean, you guys know, hey, find, find Quentin Johnson five yards down the field. Let it happen, baby. Or the P.I. ball. Chandler hit can't hit consistently the P.I. ball, and TCU doesn't have the wide receiver who can draw that penalty as consistently either. So, um, yeah, kind of, kind of some differences there. The second thing that I think is really different is, is kind of the rushing threat Chandler. And, uh, obviously he's, he's hurt. So we'll talk about Hoover too, but, um, you know, with his legs is not the same kind of runner certainly is mobile little kind of scrappy guy, but certainly didn't have the feel and the vision for, for that Duggan had with his legs didn't kind of have the grit that Duggan did in the running game. So those two things before last week were certainly, uh, certainly very rough in terms of difference for, for TCU. Um, I think what happened last week that we saw with, you know, Josh Hoover kind of breaking out, what, 59 dropbacks, completed 64% of his passes, um, and uh, and notably five five big-time throws, only one uh, turnover-worthy play, was that they, they, they were forced to simplify the offense. Um, and they were forced to say, hey, we know we've got this young guy. We know that we can't, you know, ask him to make these precision passes. So we're going to try to get guys open over the middle of the field. We're going to try to get him out of the pocket. We're going to try to make these, uh, you know, give him a ton of opportunities to, to run the ball. And, and hopefully BYU cheats up on that run game. We can kind of go over the top. So they did all that. And it was kind of like they were unintentionally handcuffed. And that was a little bit better. So uh, I, there is precedent of a TCU team having a backup come in and be amazing. And then uh, implode looking at you Chandler Morris in 2021 when they beat Baylor and then the Oklahoma state game that no one pretends happened. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what they can do now that he's a little bit of a known commodity. Now that, you know, uh, somebody like Kansas state will come in and say, Hey, we, we can, we like, we're actually a little worse defending the run. So we're fine to make Josh Hoover beat us passing worked pretty well against Texas tech last week to kind of decide, Hey, we're going to stop the run game. Um, and so we'll see what he can do kind of consistently, but like TCU missed on multiple, transfer quarterbacks they did not want this to be their solution to the room so like again ignore a lot of the coach speak about how he's you know last one last one to leave the building knows everybody's names that's great i'm sure he's a great kid they did not want josh Schubert to start meaningful games and they're having to rally around a guy that, that, that that's starting because they could not land a transfer uh that was capable of being a starter well you kind of touched on it already a little bit and i'll give you a sec to get a drink and catch your breath there let me tell you this because it's kind of widely accepted. When you go to a national championship game, you're going to lose a lot of skilled playmakers. I mean, TCU was loaded last year, and they kept some of that. They retained some of that, but they were the team that lost the most amount of offensive production you know, to the NFL draft, to graduating guys. I know you kind of touched on it in that last answer, but let me ask, like, with guys like Kendra Miller, like a Quentin Johnson, both going to the NFL and should have successful careers there, what did this coaching staff do to bring in people at your skill positions like running back, like receiver to kind of not even necessarily fill those, fill those voids per se, but bring in guys that we should be watching for. Yeah. So they, they, they did a couple interesting things. One, they had Imani Bailey on the roster. So he already came in Louisiana guy Patterson brought him in. I, I think that timeline works out there, but um, so they had Bailey on the roster uh, and that's worked out really, really great. I mean, 5.6 yards per carry, 3.76 yards after contact per attempt, which is kind of that skill set that Kendra Miller had of, of being able to avoid contact and, and, and make things happen um, after that. 
behind him, they, they, they kind of went a different strategy. They, they, they went for drop downs. And I think last year they plugged a couple needs by kind of getting pull up guys, guys that, and Monty Bailey, perfect example in a good situation, but, but Hey, come home. We can get you in a better situation. Instead, they, they kind of took guys that were in other position, other places and had reasons for leaving those places. And I think that's a little bit of a less sustainable strategy over the long term. So they brought in, you know, Trey Sanders from, from Alabama, who had some a horrific car wreck and, and had some serious injuries there. They brought in um, John, uh, I guess he's gone JP now, JP Richardson from uh, Oklahoma State, who who's an odd fit in kind of the offense that they wanted for Oklahoma State is, you know, leading target now, kind of the guy that they're getting the ball to. Uh, Jalen Robinson um, from, uh, not Jalen Robinson from Arkansas, Warren Thompson from Arkansas, I believe. Um, and a couple of guys where it's, it's really kind of an island of misfit toys behind uh, J.P. Richardson and Jared Wiley, who also was a transfer uh, last uh, last year. So um, I really think they tried to find drop down guys uh, to, to kind of shore up this wide receiver room. And, and again, you heard a lot of hype. Jojo Earl came in from from Alabama. And so I really think they were just volume shooters trying to find somebody to be in the receiving game. Um, yeah, I, I, I would guess that they're a little disappointed in Savion Williams. Um, and the fact that he has not emerged is kind of the heir apparent to Quentin Johnston. Uh, and, and I think that there is some uncertainty as to who the guy is. Last year, there were two guys where if if stuff hit the fan, you knew TC was going to find Quentin Johnston or they were going to find Tay Barber over the middle. That was like, we're going to find this. We're going to get this, figure this out here. I don't necessarily know that TC knows who that guy is. You've got six guys with 20 plus targets and spreading the ball out can be good, but also it can be emblematic of, you know, not necessarily having an option there to, to really dominate it and say, we know exactly who we're going to go get. That's, that's interesting. I'm almost kind of thinking about the Kansas city chiefs wide receiver room right now, where there's, there's not that number one guy or number two guy necessarily. It's just kind of Island of misfit toys to use that analogy. Uh, looking at the TCU offense more holistically, and especially with the change from Garrett Riley's scheme and, and moving to Kendall Bryles's offense, when you compare that to K-State's defense, I guess, first off, two-pronged question, what are some of the biggest differences between those two schemes, and where do you think TCU can get some wins offensively against K-State's defense? Yeah, so, so, so really, I mean, kind of small nuance, unless you're just like into, you know, super into the X's and O's and want to figure out, but like the deer and shoot is going to be a lot more, we're going to take what you give us, we're going to find, you know, the grass, bat, basketball and grass, we're going to find the space, we're going to try to... Um, give our receivers option routes. So like, Hey, you go. And if the safety's playing up, run the post, if the safety's playing back, you cut across, you know, just, just some, some stuff there. Uh, that's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I also think that Veer and shoot, we've seen, you know, like Lane Kiffin ran, a, ran an example of that Jeff Levy, obviously on that tree is up there. Um, they want to run. They want to run if they, if they can run. Uh, and that's not a huge fundamental difference from like the power rave that they kind of ran last year, but it is just a, a, a philosophical shift slightly there. So, um, uh, you know, looking at this, I think if we're looking at, at where TCU could potentially uh, find an edge against Kansas State, um, you know, I, I would go to um, EPA per play on on uh, defense for rushing. And sorry, I don't have these in my like fancy graphic. I would pull it up, but I make those tomorrow morning. So uh, I've got just the raw spreadsheet here. Um, but if I'm looking at the defensive rank, Kansas State has been a little bit worse against the run than, than the past this season. We, and kind of, I mean, a little bit, we knew that was going to be an issue with who they lost last year in terms of um, Felix and uh, 
Linebacker, who am I? Who, whose name am I blanking on right now? Um, well, we lost Daniel Green, lost Daniel uh, Green. At, during the Missouri game, but oh, and he's out, so he's out this season too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. So, so, so a little bit worse against against the rush, but uh, but I think if TC is going to win this game, it's really going to come down to the the passing game. There's some big selection issues. Teams have been choosing to pass against Kansas State more than more than rush, just because if I can, you know. Gaston there. Why don't I do that? TC is going to hope to get a nice mix. They're relatively balanced in terms of rush rate over expected. Uh, and so I think their ideal um, plan is to rush enough to take a bunch of pressure off Hoover. Whereas, you know, Kansas state's plan is let's take away the rush and make Hoover have to have to beat us in the secondary there. Cause we're not too scared uh, of that generally. So I think there'll be a lot of um, TCU push for the rush, Kansas State 89th in EPA per play on uh, expected points added per play on on passing on defense there. So TCU hoping to hit a couple explosive passes, take some pressure off Josh Hoover with with the run game through through Imani Bailey there. So I think that'll be kind of a big um, difference. It'll be interesting if I'm watching this, and I I probably will watch some of this. um, As a fan, I want to see how Kansas loads the box because I think they're going to try to really dictate pace. I think, you know, this offense is at its best if the quarterback is making decisions and has the defense on its heel and says, Hey, I'm going to stick it in this running backs uh, stomach. If you step up, I'm going to beat you deep. If you step back, we've got numbers there. So how Kansas state kind of, kind of loads the box and disguises coverage to really one trap Hoover, but to make that decision process a little bit harder, that's going to be the really interesting matchup for me on TC's offense versus Kansas state's defense. Well, Kansas state's going into this game, possibly with a new quarterback and also a freshman in Avery Johnson. And I want to switch over to TCU's defense and who he'll be facing, you know, this TCU defense has been, I don't know if it's as good as it was last year. I mean, that was a national championship team. And if, if they're giving up, basically how I look at it, if they're giving up 18 points or more this year, you guys are 0-3. And that's that's a weird number, you know. But the defensive performance, I want to know all around, what are they doing and what's different than it was last year? Oh, this one. Yeah, this one's easy. What's different last than last year is you don't have D Winters and Dylan Horton, who are two athletic freaks who can be rangy in the pass and in the run game and really take a lot of pressure off you. Um, that's 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 really what it comes down to is, is you just are really, really missing those guys. A little bit more pressure on Josh Newton as the first option last year. Hodges Tomlinson was the first option. Newton got to go against those second guys. I think he's really risen to the challenge. Um but I, th- I, I think that there's a lot of guys that, that are really kind of would do a lot better if they had uh, a little bit more structure around them, especially early on. You've got guys like Jamoy Hodge and Shad Banks and um, Hodges, I think, is still out at the linebacker position. So you've got those three guys that are all kind of like talented in one way. But if you think of their talent as like a radar chart, right? part of that is going to be very, very bad. Like they're, they're, they're going to have a flaw kind of all around. And so they really don't have that all around guy um, there. And they've had to grow. The, the defensive line has been pretty poor. I think the secondary is, is, is pretty clearly the highlight there. Mark Perry coming along better in coverage than he was last year. Um, obviously Bradford and uh, Clark and Foster are all pretty good in the, in the secondary as well. So you've got, you know, you've got some, um, 
you, you've got some depth and experience in the back end there that's really kind of given the front seven an opportunity to grow, but they haven't really, really grown into it. Um, you know, 63rd in passing success rate, they were against Colorado giving up soft coverages. You saw that. Um, and then against like West Virginia and Iowa State, just really struggled to make the big play in the big moment. Um, not not forcing a ton of turnovers or anything. So uh, I think I think it's really kind of a uh, on average, maybe about the same as last year, but the ceiling is much lower than that defense last year, even as maybe the floor of that defense last year was a little bit lower uh, as, as well as a little more chaotic last season, too. Well, you kind of answered this already, so I'm kind of I'm going to stick with it, but also alter a little bit. I, here. I cheated. You guys gave me the questions in advance. And so I know I'm... you, you won up to me. Well, I'll ask you this. I'll kind of come up with a, a loophole here. Then, uh, you know, you mentioned some familiar names. We saw Travis Hodges, Tomlinson, excuse me, go to the NFL draft. Dylan Winters gone. D Horton gone. You lose a lot of names that were very big, contrib- you know, contributors last season. Especially when you look at this game and the season as a whole. Like you know, Chef mentioned being 0-3 in that situation, but the defense on paper doesn't look, you know, it doesn't look that bad at this point through the season. I would say, you know, what have you seen that has completely changed or what is something like, you mentioned Josh Josh Newton getting thrust out into the light a little bit, being kind of the first option that guys are attacking or going after. How has that changed in terms of what this defense was expected to do versus, you know, how you feel about it right now? Uh, well, I, what I'll say, I think that like, and again, I shouldn't base my sentiment on the team and, and of what people think of the team on, you know, my friends who text me during the games and stuff. But like, there's a lot of like, hey, fire Gillespie, the first game against Colorado. And you're like, well, it's not great, but also let's take a deep breath here. And obviously, I, I mean, I guess you guys may not know this because Kansas State's a little more traditional on the front there, but like playing three down linemen just breaks, just scrambles people's brains. Because like the first time you give up a big run, everyone's like, they got to put another guy down there. This defense is garbage. And you're like, well, there's a linebacker who's like fitting the run gap there. Like it's, it, it works. It's going to be okay. But that, 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 that's pretty low hanging fruit for like the median fan to be like three is less than four. And we gave up a run. We need another down lineman. So there's a lot there that I think is um, a little bit overblown. Um, A couple of guys that I don't know, have been uh, maybe standing out and have been a little bit more interesting. Um, I, well, Demonic Williams, uh, the big man in the middle, 52, I think was a really big piece of TC last year, 17 years old when he came into camp. This year, he's getting a little bit more attention. And you saw, um, and, I, and I'll say this discreetly, but like, I, I mean, I, I think he acted like a fool. Uh, he got a little rattled during the West Virginia game and like it, it hurt his play. And you can see that like he's got a little more attention and and doesn't have some guys taking pressure off of him. And so it's been a little bit harder for him to get uh, in, involved and he's been a little more um, erratic as well. I feel like the the other one that's been a little bit not disappointing because I can't really expect much out of him, but like Abe Kamara last season had a bunch of huge hits. You guys are going to remember him because he got caught in quicksand against Deuce Vaughn and every one of you has it as your you know header photo on Twitter for a couple weeks there. But um, generally last season, he was a pretty great run defender and was just laying some hits and and hasn't been all over the place this season as, as much there. So um, part of that is because guys are rotating in the backfield uh, Bud Clark's playing a little bit more of that nickel. And, and so those guys are moving to more traditional safeties, not just the run fit safety. And, you know, uh, guys like um, Mark Perry, sorry, and Abe Kamara are a little bit redundant in terms of like, you only need so many safeties who just close their eyes and go blast the bejesus out of somebody. Like at some point you've got to be able to play coverage. And so uh, I think there's a little bit of, uh, of issue there. Um, a guy that stands out, um, 
Namdi Obiazor has been kind of around for a little bit and, and is really, really good at the linebacker position for TCU, uh, especially kind of kind of tackling, uh, you know, for, 42 tackles, 24 assists there, and, and only a 2.9% mystery. Uh, uh, not fully that dependable option as a linebacker that D Winters was last year or any of those, you know, great TCU linebackers we've seen over the last a uh, couple of years, but but certainly um, filling a big role of consistency they need in that in that second uh, in that in that back half. So feel better ending on the positive there. That's good. <laughs> and Obi Azor, Obi Azor, however however you pronounce it, very familiar name for K State fans as well. Because is it is it his little brother that plays at K State? Cheaty, Cheaty, baby, Cheaty. Yeah, from, that's from the guy. Prairie, nice. Prairie, Minnesota. So that's that's a guy we're going to be looking out for here in the next couple of years, or, or at least next year, maybe. But uh, maybe not as much this year. Who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, K-State's obviously coming into this game with a unique situation at quarterback, uh, but not all too different from last year where Will Howard kind of came into the game and, and was the guy that that carried K-State to a near victory in that in that first matchup against TCU uh, where we had you know two quarterbacks playing that game. And we may have two quarterbacks playing this game as well with Avery Johnson and Will Howard potentially splitting some reps, uh, potentially splitting some different, different, you know, design runs and things like that, but very different from last year's matchup in that Adrian Martinez is a different style quarterback, obviously than, than Avery Johnson. So thinking about TCU's defense, how do you think that defense is going to fare against a dual threat like Avery Johnson, but also knowing that you might have Will Howard get plugged and play in, in different spots uh, throughout the game as well. Yeah. Well, one always sign me up for, um, uh, two quarterbacks. I want to see it. Like I wish Jalen Daniels was healthy for Kansas so that we could see more of like Lance Leipold being weird with him and Jason being out there. So like, sure do it. Yeah. I want to see. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think you hand it over to Avery Johnson. Totally. Yet. I, I don't think that's a silver bullet that, that we all want it to be like the younger kid. You want him to come in, but like development matters. And I, I need to see a little bit more at his deep ball. I mean, his average depth of target was like four yards less than Will Howard's in, in that game. Like, again, kind of like TCU did with Hoover. It's like, hey, let's bring it all the way back. But he is mobile and he is exciting and, and kind of, um, you know, a, a spark plug there. So gives you a lot in, in the run game. Um, but I, I want to see them, you know, if, if they if they don't hand it over to a totally, I want to see them kind of disguise usage a little bit more. It feels like the Missouri game is the last Kansas State game that I like watched and broke down all the film. I've, I've you know watched and all that then. But like in that one, I know Howard was a little bit hurt, but it really just felt like Missouri was like, are you guys, you're just bringing him in here? Like this is, you're just committing to this. We, we all know what's going to happen here. And so uh, I'd like to see a little bit more disguise there. I'd also like to see a little bit more grace with Will Howard, not from a standpoint of evaluating him, but the Oklahoma State game, for instance, I felt like the solution for Oklahoma State or for Kansas State playing from behind there, which is not a good position to play against Friday night, Stillwater, Gundy team. That sucks uh, for any quarterback, let alone a guy like Will Howard, who has some gifts, but they're very narrowly defined. I think is the way I would say that. Um, I think you can't call a game plan that requires Will Howard to be perfect. And I know you want to fix on the, on the picks, but like they could have gotten around those. They were in that game, despite him having a terrible game, but they really didn't do much to say, okay, Will, let's take a breath. Let's get you some completions. Let's like make this thing happen. And then it spirals out and you lost the quarterback and, and the game. So like, there's no chance of coming back. I really thought for a second there towards the end, they had the ball back and I thought, okay, here we go. Um, but I didn't feel like they gave Will Howard a lot of, 
uh, a lot of grace there. So if you're going to beat TCU here, one, you want to make a lot of conflict, right? You want them to be uncertain of, uh, do I need to watch for Giddens? Do, is Johnson going to run? Maybe they're going to hit me over the top. Uh, I, I'd love to see a little bit more kind of uh, pop pass kind of RPO stuff that we've seen Kansas State run before with, with Johnson just to say like, hey, man, you can just Tebow this ball. But we got to at least have a credible threat that, that you're going to throw at some uh, to make things a little bit more balanced out there. So um, I, I, I think I'm a little more sympathetic to Will Howard than, you know, the recency bias of this, just because he has in big moments played very well in the past. Um, but it is nice to have Johnson there and there's no reason to not get him involved, provided that you can, you know, make it not, not extremely obvious what's going to happen when Avery Johnson comes in the game and stick yourself with Will Howard just hanging out over there. You and me both, brother. I need I need this offense to open up. You know, I I don't know where it's going to happen or how it's going to happen, but I need them to open it up. But we're going to switch over to our listener question. It's brought to you by La Quinta. The Cokeheads have brought questions, and we're going to start off with Will the Thrill. He asks, "I feel like we have seen more anomalies this season compared to last season." Uh, so his question is. Have you compared analytics to the first half of the season with the ha- the first half of last season? Is there any like discrepancies happening? Is it just is it just a weird season? Because it it does kind of feel like two thousand and what year was that seven where like South Florida was number one and it just feels like that even though we got the big boys all at the top still. Yeah, I I think that in a lot of ways two things in college football have really broken our brains. And one of those is um, Nick Saban. Uh, we just expect like the dominant teams to continue to be dominant. And uh, that's kind of true. Like Georgia's still pretty dang good, even with some turnover. Um, Ohio State, Michigan, very good. Oklahoma, very, very good. Uh, and so in some ways, I don't think it's as weird as you see some of these blue bloods like be very, very good. Uh, the other thing is this is kind of one of the last years that like the COVID eligibility is really, really going to matter. And I think last season it was more so was kind of the peak of it. And so we phased that out. So one, that's a lot more turnover because one, you're losing those guys that have been there for six years or whatever. And two, you're replacing them with guys who maybe have been around and been in the system, but haven't gotten those reps and are even further along their development curve. So I kind of think of it as, you know, the earlier you start playing, the higher, you know, potential your curve is, but if you start playing later, your curve might be lower. Um, It was good for all the audio people. If you're listening to this, you just missed an excellent hand graph that I made. Uh, kind of looked like an 80s dance move. But um, yeah, and so I, I think those two things are there. But I also think like in-season volatility is really hard to gauge. And I think when we look back at the season, you can form narratives a little bit easier with, you know, a full set of games and the satisfying conclusion of this this team's a national championship, this team's a Big 12 champion, and kind of look back and say, oh, I understand how that's going to happen. You know, I think last season, Kansas State lost to Tulane and beat Oklahoma. <laughs> like, like hilarious but i i think we know um <clears throat> like if you ask me that if i think we'd ask that same question then and be like is this weird and be like no it's kind of early season volatility it's just what happens you know you have a small sample and a lot of crazy stuff happens so uh, i haven't really done much to kind of quantify that because i think it's a little um uh, ephemeral but uh, i i i'm not totally under the impression that it is necessarily different this year well, I'm curious to know, you know, the Big 12 has had a ton of changes in this season and it's going to continue to change. But before we jump ahead to having even more schools in the conference, I'd ask you this. And one of our fans asked uh, this. I'm going to I'm going to say our I'm jumping in, but I'm going to say our in this case. Uh, Will, our boy at Will underscore KSU asked, 
of the new of the four schools joining next season, excuse me, next season, which are you most looking forward to visiting? Whether it be Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, or Utah, which school are you like? All right, this is the place I have to get to. Whether that be a basketball or football question, where are you headed and excited to go? Okay, I went to Colorado last year for the TCU Colorado game and was pleasantly surprised. Very familiar with Boulder, been there a ton. Um, had not been to the stadium and, and loved the atmosphere. Thought the students showed out for the first half in a way that I was not expecting. Um, and so that one's that one's probably my answer. Although the Arizona State, um, Tempe, you can see mountains. Uh, and so that's pretty fun as well for me. That's high on my list of priorities uh, as, as well. So th- that's one that I'm, that I'm kind of interested in as, as well. I think... Um, you know, Utah and TCU are pretty familiar. And so that's not new to me. I, I love the opportunity to go up there, but uh, I, I think, I think it's just hard to beat Boulder and, and Tempe is something new is, is a lot of fun as well. So uh, I've got another question here, more related to the teams that joined this year. So of the four teams that joined this year for, for the big 12, so BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF, which ones from your perspective and maybe advanced stats wise have overperformed or underperformed to expectations coming into this season? Because I, I think we all had some, you know, it's going to be an adjustment for each of these teams. We were all kind of, it was a big question mark how they were going to do this season, but which ones would you say have overperformed or underperformed so far to date? Um, I mean, it's hard. I think Houston is overperformed because they've beaten a big 12 team, like uh, beating a normal big 12 team. Um <clears throat> I was pretty low on all four of them. I think the one that I was highest on was UCF and their run game is really good. Their defense is pretty good. John Reese Plumley, I think is, is really interesting. He got hurt. They've kind of underwhelmed. So it's hard to say they've underperformed, but I think that um, that's been a little bit hard just because they, they are, um, I thought there's a lot more potential there with Gus, who's, you know, really out of the, the four new coaches is the one who's really had the most success at the FBS or the power five level and, and has done a great job kind of recruiting and coordinating down at UCF, which is what they needed in terms of wrangling facilities and, and money and, and boosters and everything. Very, I don't know if you guys know this, like very kind of disparate university, uh, big commuter, a lot of part-time students, uh, huge. And so uh, to get any kind of culture out of that is, is impressive. And I feel like Gus is doing a good job there. Um, I was intrigued by Dana and Donovan Smith. And we saw a little glimpse of that on Thursday of what that could be. But I uh, I really didn't think that uh, I thought they would do better. I thought they'd be more fun. Doug Belk is a good coordinator. And, and I thought he was kind of uh, w- would have been somewhere else uh, recently there. So really interesting there. BYU I was low on from the start. It is they, a lot of turnover and the talent is not there. And then, um, I mean, I think Cincinnati made a terrible hire. I've said that all over the place. So I don't feel bad saying that again. So I, I haven't been surprised by any of them. If I had to say underperform, it would be UCF. But I mean, it's John Reese Plum who's injured. I don't know if that matters. But we are seeing that like depth matters, especially the second half of these games is these teams you know, Houston against Texas Tech, super feisty, and then falls off. Like, it's just depth matters a whole lot. And even if you've got some talent, you got to recruit and get used to using that depth uh, as well there. So um, interesting teams, long, long, long run. I think there's no reason why uh, UCF, Houston, BYU can't be kind of towards upper middle class of the, of the Big 12. Uh, Cincinnati is probably two or three years behind. They change coaches and do something else here in a little bit. But um, I, they have the facilities, obviously, and the – you know, the theoretical talent to be able to, uh, to build a team there. 
Parker, I got one question for you. And it, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, just out there a little bit. You're a TCU fan and you know, ball, you, you absolutely know ball. If you were to build, like you got Kendall Bryles now and you got, I don't, I can't remember who your defensive coordinator is. You just said that you, people want him fired or whatever. If you could build the TCU coaching staff with like, you know, whoever you could get, whoever you want, you could get anybody and any kind of offense, any kind of defense, what kind of, what kind of schemes are you running? What kind of what kind of what kind of team do you have? You're um, the head coach. I'm hiring Ken Yamatololo and we're running the friggin' flex bone and just annoying the bejesus out of everyone. <laughs> um no, I think that um <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Um I, I, I think that um my, I, I had a couple names pegged of like CEO types and offensive line types, just because that's it, it's easy to get talent at TCU. It's easy to get DFW skill talent. You can get fast receivers, um, and uh, and you can find a four-star quarterback to throw it to. Him. That's 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 easy at a place like TCU. I think relative to other places, whereas like Kansas State, I think it's a lot easier to find some cornbread boys who have some pride and want to play for the purple, you know, play for the cats, right? Like that's that's not something that TCU has a pipeline of it at all there. So um, I, I advocate for that. I think when we did the the hire there, um, I was interested in Sean Lewis. Uh, I've always been interested in Sean Lewis. One because he's a literal Viking. Uh, he's like six seven, played tight end, and has a huge beard. That's cool. Uh, but two runs a good offense has has been able to find kind of diamonds in the rough, which I think is important, especially as competition in DFW talent only increases there. So that that's somebody that really I would like. Again, I like I like a spread offense. I like a I even like a beer and shoot offense. I think as long as you're willing to adapt to kind of rushing there, uh, and that's really interesting to me. I I, I I will say I don't think that TC made a good hire at offensive coordinator. I think there's a ton of people who. Um, have way less baggage and could run that offense better than they're running it right now. So uh, Sean Lewis is, is one of those people, frankly. Uh, and so that one's, that, that, that'd be really interesting to me um, there. And then, yeah, defense, I'd want somebody just nasty. I don't know. Some G5, like James Madison's defensive coordinator, be like, dude, let's just be jerks. Like that was my favorite thing about TCU in their kind of Mountain West phase was like there weren't amazing players on that defense objectively i think jerry hughes probably the best one out of out of all of them that's played in the nfl and everything but they were hating ass defenders they were guys that were like we are going to just just ruin your day and i love that so i'd want to find a hating ass defensive coordinator and if you haven't caught any of the james madison dukes they're about as hating ass as an as, as an fbs team is right now i love it man I tell you what, you're gonna have to coin that. Hating ass defender is the term of 2023. But I will ask you. I think I gotta give credit to Grant, my podcast co-host, Grant McGallard. I think he was talking about hating ass linemen in like 2019. So we've just kind of adopted it, and it's been a mantra for us. That is incredible. No, you know what it was? It was specifically the Kansas State game, the 2020 Kansas State game, where um, TCU had the ball, and I think Matt Downing is in there, and like they're gonna try to drive and. Uh, oh my gosh, who was the who was the white defensive end who was just an absolute monster? Oh, was it uh Wyatt Hubert? Hubert, yes. And they kept trying to like zone read Hubert and he just kept killing them. And one play he hit the quarterback like arguably late, wasn't dirty or anything, and five TCU linemen just stared there while their quarterback like got up after a late hit. And I was like, How are you not getting thrown out of the game for murdering? Like, what are we doing here? So that's that was the origin of we need some hate ass linemen was a Kansas State game. Yeah. 
That's incredible. And I'm glad that that term was spawned for us. We appreciate that. And I'm sure Wyatt Hubert appreciates some love on this fine Monday night. But let me ask you this. I'm curious. There was a game, and to keep it kind of similar to the out there questions of if you could build any team ever, what would you, you know, I'm curious to hear this. Recently, TCU, SMU, they play in the, the iron skillet. They get the iron skillet for the skillet bowl. If there were another item, can't say the skillet, can't say something that's, you know, quick to the mind, quick off the top of the head. If you had to pick some item to make your rivalry item that the other team gets to hoist at the end of the game, what item would that be between any type of either a rivalry game or just a once every 56 years we play this game? What item would that be? Okay, this is a deep track, but I'm going to say this for the Kansas State TCU game just to stay on theme here. Kansas State TCU should, one, uh, shout out to Scott Wildcat for this idea, stealing it for him. They should play for who gets to wear purple. Should not be home and home. Winner last year should get to wear purple. That's an excellent idea. Two, they should play for a golden newspaper, and the headline on that newspaper should say Gary Patterson takes the Kansas State job. Like, where else do you have that kind of lore? And I don't know how much you guys know about it, and I'm not – I'm not going to go too deep into it there, but if you know about that, that is what we need. To, that's what we need. It's to have Patterson. It's we need Patterson. to have the Patterson newspaper oh as, as an item that Kansas State and TCU play for. That that was an insane period of time. And the early the, the internet was so – it was not early internet, but it was early sports internet, I feel like, early yeah. enough to where something like that could get out there. And it's okay. leaking into and the newspapers lines, instead of just tweets, you know? On those lines, Chris Kleiman knew that he had some guys that that talked to some people and leaked fake information at 2020. That's the first time I ever yelled back at Gary Patterson. Not the first time he's ever yelled at me, but I had to be like, your friend does not know. Kleiman is putting information out there. I promise you he's going to play. I forget the quarterback at this point, Skylar Thompson. Skyler. I, I was like, Skylar Thompson is going to play, dude. It is going to happen. He's like, I don't want to hear this, whatever. He's like, yeah. And I yelled back at him just because I was like, Kleiman doesn't trust anyone right now. He is leaking it a hundred percent. He leaked the information knowing that guy would tell Gary Patterson and knowing Gary Patterson would believe it. And they won. <laughs> that, was, that was fantastic. Yeah. We, you mentioned that you mentioned that on the pod last year, we named names last year. We will not be doing that this year, but uh, either way, either way, I mean, Parker, that was uh, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that stuff. Before you go, we need a final score prediction from you. Any other tidbits you want to share and then plug whatever you want to. Okay, final score prediction. All right, I got to do a little bit of live coding. So while I do that, I will, um, I'll pull up, uh, uh, I'll plug um, a couple of things you can do if you, if you like me and want to support me or if you don't like me and you want to support me. Um, one, you can go... Um, Subscribe to the BetUS uh, football show. It's on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at noon central uh, on YouTube. And it's me and Gary and Kyle. And we just have a ton of fun, man. Like it's, we're picking games, but like, who cares about betting? It's like, we're talking football. It's, it's pretty good. And, and Kyle is like a legitimate, like wizard. I mean, like handicapper of the year, full-time guy, like knows what he's talking about. So if you do care about betting, you get some plays, but generally just, just fun, good time. Check that out. Follow me on Twitter. Go follow at Sumer Sports. That's where I work now. I like do football analytics full-time. A lot of that's for the NFL over there. Um, although I do college stuff for them and they've got great content, cool website with a bunch of crazy NFL stats, more stats, I think, than you can even really do stuff with right now. I think it's a really fun to go over there and check that out. Sumersports.com. I have this Kansas State by 4.1 points. So 
if we account for home field advantage, which is not exactly two and a half points, it's kind of like a rolling average. Um, you know, that's that's Kansas State being about two, two, two and a half points better than TCU on a neutral field. I feel okay about that. I feel like both teams are kind of uncertain, but I feel better about Kansas State turning the corner and solidifying kind of down the stretch here. So uh, I'm going to go with the home team. Let's say, let's get pointsy here. Let's go 36-33 Kansas State. Well, we all know that when K-State scores 30 or more points, they're undefeated going back to uh, 2021. Uh, I believe the Oklahoma game in uh, 2021 was the – or no, the Oklahoma game in 2021 was the last time K-State scored 30 or more points and lost a game. So Dang. Okay. well then I feel good. I'm not going against any trends there. I don't even know. I don't even know if I know the line offhand right now. Is it five and a half? It it started at seven and now today no seven and a half and I saw it last at six and a half. But Ooh. I don't know what it's at right now. Ooh, interesting. Because I did I did like the Vegas ratings and I have yep, I'd have it five and a half, four and a half. Yep, that's perfect. So I'm I'm right on I'm right on there with what I kind of make the opening line would be five and a half. So I, I, I guess technically picking TCU to cover just because this is a game that's scrappy and has a lot of um, history and I'm sure they're going to get up for it. But I think I think Kansas State wins. So I've got it. I, I'm sorry to jump in. I've got it listed at six and a half on DraftKings, it looks like. So it's kind of fluctuating around that seven mark still. I think today it got down shop, to five. Shop around. If you're inclined to put money on games and make decisions based on that, shop around. Make sure you get the best line. I would if it's 36 33 I I know my I would just have I'd probably vomit I'd honestly get sick <laughs> I'd be sick to my stomach that that score makes me anxious and nervous I'm nervous God it's gonna be I mean it's just gonna be a hellacious game like what do you expect out of this out of the last two yeah. games we've seen you know yeah if it's if it's anything like the last two matchups we've had in the previous calendar year it's gonna be it's gonna be a doozy but Parker, thanks again for joining. It was awesome to have you. Uh, for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, thank you for listening to the show on your podcast feeds or watching us on YouTube. Do us a favor. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and follow the show. And if you're watching on YouTube, give us a like on the video and follow our friends. We'll tag them in the comments and descriptions below. Even if you're not a K-State fan, this is good content for you. should be fun uh, if you're a TCU fan or a Big 12 fan or whatever. Uh, follow the show on Twitter or Instagram or follow us individually. I am at Bob Trollsby. Parker is at Stats of War. Fireball Matt, who's not with us, is at Matt Marchesini. The Good Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And our guest host, Joe, is at Tillery underscore Joe. Chef. Cocaine is a hell of a drug, baby. Are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's fucking ride. Let's ride.